episode of Phoenix Talent Talks, the success series in partnership with the Business Post. As always, joined by my co-host, Ruth Linden. Joining us today, we have the one and only Bobby Healy from MANA. Bobby kicked off his career building video games for Nintendo. He then founded Elan Technologies, an airline tech company, which he sold 12 years later to CETA. He then built Car Trawler, the world's largest mobility marketplace for airlines, and led two successful LBOs for the business. For the last three years, he's been building MANA, a drone delivery as a service business, whose mission is to improve the world by making lightning fast suburban deliveries affordable, green and safe. Ruth, what an episode. Absolutely, Ed. I think we can safely say that that is the first company we've had to join our Talent Talks podcast series, which has the capability to deliver your customized morning coffee to your door from the skies above, literally. Such an interesting company. And we're absolutely thrilled to have Bobby join us today. So without further ado, let's jump right in and hear from the man himself. A question we kick off all our podcast episodes with is what does success look like to you? Uh, success um, looks like, uh, I mean, o- overall, uh, that I'm enjoying myself and uh, that I have a happy team that are also enjoying themselves. And failure is, I think, toxic uh, environment, toxic work and a toxic project. And that's probably unusual to a lot of people. But, you know, when you start and found businesses, the way I have done, you can choose what you want to do, right? So you do things that you enjoy doing and you want, I certainly want to have people around me that are just as, I hate to use the word passionate, but just as, you know, into what we're doing together. And and I certainly think we're 110 people now in MANA and uh, I'd like to think that nearly all of them love what they're doing. And it's tough. I mean, it's hard work and it's, uh, sometimes stressful and you know all of that good stuff but they they nobody certainly my team thinks they're building their career they think they're enjoying themselves they think they're learning and they're going for a particularly you know particularly big target and a shared goal but nobody thinks they're building a career and but they're enjoying themselves and and so that is the measure of my success is am I happy am I enjoying myself and and I couldn't be if at least I thought that the team weren't behind me uh, as well. And that's it. It's an unusual one, you know, and then success or failure. I mean, if the, if, if the project doesn't work, if business goes out of business, I wouldn't call that a failure at all. Uh, and the size of it and the amount of money we may or may not make, certainly that's, you know, you want to hang your hat on that and use it to brag with your brothers and sisters and your mother. Uh, but, if, you know, so long as I'm happy and so long as we're doing well and, you know, uh, have done a good job and we're proud of what we've done, that's the measure of success. That's really interesting. How do you gauge their happiness, Bobby? Do you put a survey out? Do you? No, God, no. Jesus, no. Uh, you know, engagement surveys and all that, you know, stuff. No. Uh, you know, I did that in previous lives. And no, I mean, you know, I, when you're a small company, you you know, right? Because you're talking to everyone regularly and just like your friends, you know if your friends pissed off at you, they're not talking to you, whatever. You get the you get the mood. Uh, and you can you have that luxury in a company. Like if if I don't know everyone that works in the company and what they're doing and what's motivating them, there's something wrong with me, right? Uh so you can do that for a certain 
level of scale absolutely and then yeah you have to use tools like engagement surveys and all that stuff but no i mean largely i would know uh who's happy and who's not and there's certainly a little bit of, you know when you have 100 people plus or minus you have an exponential number of connections uh, between them uh and things can be difficult interpersonal issues and all that stuff but we do town halls pretty regularly and I know from the feedback, the questions and all of that stuff that we're in a good place. And I like in, in businesses I've run before, I've always pretty much had my finger on the pulse and I know who's happy and who's not happy. And, and, and often, often it's because the company would outgrow somebody or, you know, actually the biggest one that the reason that people wouldn't be happy is companies grow quickly. They go to different, uh, they go through different gear changes, uh, both in in scale and in process and governance and culture, and that sometimes uh, outstrips people's own personal growth abilities, and and then they become isolated and kind of don't know which way is up and which way is down. But uh, okay, yeah, uh, and and Bobby, I guess look, obviously you've exited multiple tech companies previously and had a, a great career, uh, even up to the point of creating Mana. It's such a revolutionary concept, I guess. It, it, the motivation for doing it again, because it is probably you know seven to ten year cycle, maybe. You yeah. know, did it have to excite you? Was it a light bulb moment, or or of what really motivated you to do this again? Yeah, and just on the time frame, you need to think in decades. Um, so my last business uh, was fifteen years. I was you know running it in various shapes and forms, and the one before that was thirteen years. So I'm assuming this one's going to be at least a decade. Uh, and that's the way you think about it. So getting into it, you need to say, okay, can I, that is the commitment. The commitment is, can I give a decade, my next decade? And I was 49 when I started this. So am I going to step off this particular thing when I'm 59? And I don't know anyone that's 59 years old that isn't in a, some kind of a home, you know? So, uh, <laughs> no, I said, first of all, do I have the energy to do this? Because it takes a lot of energy do my family are my family going to leave me if i do it again because i have children i have a wife you know and it's a it's as much a commitment or a sacrifice to them as it is to me you know because i'm the one traveling around the world and the inverted commas living the high life but you know i'm often not there and it's a sacrifice for them to or maybe it's not maybe it's a luxury for them not to have to see me but so we're, we're all in it right and and uh i definitely thought about that and then like Talk about the energy levels, you know, it turns out that the average successful tech founder is 47 years old and wow. she or he, you know, should have enough energy and a good combination, a hybrid between energy and experience. I think that probably is the reason for that average age thing. So I said to myself, why not? And then the final one, which is the most important is, will I enjoy doing this? You know, and God almighty, who wouldn't enjoy building a drone delivery business? Pretty unique, that's for sure. I guess if you look at even car trawler was pretty revolutionary at the time as well. Um, you know, is that kind of trailblazing, transformational element something that, you know, has to have for it to be um, something for you to get involved in? No, um, no. And in fact, I'd argue that, that my last two businesses, car trawler and Eland, weren't exciting businesses at all. And they weren't uh i mean they were exciting financially and growth and you know all that yeah. stuff but that doesn't uh sorry of course i enjoy that immensely but it wasn't 
you know, I'll put it this way. If that's all that's written on my tombstone, I won't be very happy, right? You okay. know, I'd like to achieve something better for society than, you know, a car rental distribution system, right? Uh, so, no, I, I think... You know, I, I think I like to learn, right? So I'm a, I'm a programmer and still like to consider myself a programmer. That's my trade and I still very much my hobby and, and I love it and I love learning. I love technologies, learning them to the point where I'm practically useful at them. I don't need to be the best or anything, but I like to learn. And when I looked at MANA, I mean, there's all sorts of different programming uh, you know, components to it, the different languages, different architectures, both my old world of video games and embedded software and my new world of distributed systems and comms and then hardware, right? So mm. you know, never been involved in the hardware before. So I've had to build quite a big engineering team of electrical, mechanical, robotics engineers, aeronautical engineers, and build an advisory team at the board level that understands scaling manufacturing, scaling, you know, reliable, safe aircraft. So there's a huge amount of new tricks that I've, you know, had to learn and I'm still learning. And that that's really enjoyable, I must say. It's kind of, there's never a boring moment. And if I have any downtime, I suck it up with reading books or articles or podcasts or something on a particular <laughs> uh, thing that I need to be a, you know, pseudo expert in. Uh, so it's a, it's a wonderful uh, project to be involved in because it's going to be, you know, 10 years of learning. Plus VC, I've never run a VC-backed business before. And that's another mad aspect to what we're doing. Brilliant. And before we get into Mana in more detail, just for those few that may not have heard of you or Mana, unlikely, but and its ambitious plans, can you just give us a quick overview of what you guys do, what Mana is about? Yeah. Um, so we design and build uh, drones and all the software on them, and we use them. We operate those drones to deliver uh, products, lightweight, low-value products from vendors, outlets, shops. Uh, directly to consumers' houses. So we fly, for example, we fly off Tesco's roof and you can order anything from Tesco, all 16,000 products. You can order them with our app and we fly them directly from Tesco to your house. We hover over your house about 15 meters and we drop it into your garden on a, on a, on a winch. So you get the product in three to five minutes, depending on if there's prep time or not. We're delivering coffee, uh, pastries, takeaway food, hardware store, bookstore, you name it, we're delivering it. And you can, you know, because of it's the fact that it's a robot and it's high speed, it flies as the crow flies, you, you order a coffee, you get it in five and a half minutes from us. Like revolutionary. Um, you touched on this earlier, you spoke about learning and you love that, like you're a programmer, you're a techie person at heart, obviously the hardware piece was new. At any stage, like this business is so dependent on that hardware and on the actual drones. Was there ever a time where you were like, my God, that's something I know nothing about. It's too yeah. much of a hurdle. Yeah, but it's kind of, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Uh, everyone's heard this one, right? But it applies really well here. You eat an elephant one small bite at a time. And if you can, if you really sat down and you thought about how the hell do I build the drone delivery, you know, company? Well, the first thing you do is you say, well, first of all, how the hell do you build a drone? And then actually before that, you say, what skill set do I need to build a drone? That's the first question needs to be answered. And what is that world like? And so you can actually do a lot of research, you know, on your desktop and find companies that do these kinds of things. And, and I, so I, I layered my knowledge, right? So at first I found out what's the skill set. And I, I interviewed a bunch of companies that can build drones to see, 
could they build them? And and really the output from that was, okay, I understood how to build a drone, kind of what type of people you need. And then you start to build your team. And I started to build a team of, you know, guys that had built drones before and found the team and funded that. And we started, I started to learn kind of, and the first year was just building a, a prototype or a proof of concept kind of was never going to work at scale, but just to prove that first of all, you know, I could put a team together, it can build a drone, it can fly autonomously, it can deliver all those things. And then that the capital cost of the drone could be amortized over a reasonable amount of time that you could make money and that also you could operate a delivery. So your unit cost for the delivery would work. So all of these things are, there's a lot of standard business principles. There's a lot of standard, what I would call educational approaches yeah. uh, to learning. And, and then there's kind of, and I think I do this part well as I find and, and motivate teams well. And I, I understand, I think, well, how to shape, you know, the early, the seed stage of a business and a technology in a way that you're not building now to throw it all out. You can layer it on and continually incrementally uh, improve the thing to, to the point where you have that thing behind me, this aircraft that we have that actually is flying in Balbriggan, you know, hundreds of times a day, it's done a hundred and, 10,000 flights and it is now probably the best in the world uh, of, of what we're doing. So, and it's all little increments, you know? Uh, yeah. To, to take that, uh, I suppose, lack of experience in hardware and then put it into an industry that's so tightly regulated, you know, was there major challenges around that? I'm sure obviously consulting with the IAA and that came yeah. into the equation very early. So, Again, any anything there that you found was yeah, um, that comes back to the strategy of the business because you know the, the the best business you can build is one that's really really difficult for anyone else to do, and one in which you have an unfair advantage over everybody else, right? So if you have a structural competitive advantage, you really have something magical, and we're very lucky. When I when I started this business off. And um, one of the things that I did was I went to meet the IAA, which is the Aviation Authority here in Ireland. And of course, another thing you have to learn is, first of all, who the hell regulates this and how do they approach it and, and all that good stuff. Uh, and it, it was clear that Europe, first of all, has an umbrella organization called the ASA that regulates everything in Europe, both airspace, aircraft and everything in between. But IAA within that are, you know, a big industrial regulator that you know, not, most people don't know this, 90% of transatlantic flights fly through our airspace. So we have a really big industrial scale regulator here. And, you know, we have a lot of support in Ireland for indigenous technology companies start, you know, obviously from Enterprise Ireland and government and so on. So we have a really good environment. You know, everyone's wearing a green jersey kind of thing. But when I went into the IAA, I found the same thing. I found a regulator that kind of was well up for helping out and wanted to be part of this and had actually, as it turned out, done a lot of work themselves before Bobby Healy ever taught a drone delivery. They had. And actually, there was a lot of regulations already in the works around doing this. So, so we had a perfect kind of environment for you know a kind of mad startup that knows nothing about safety or risk or airspace any of that stuff but with a regulator that have a sufficient scale that could help us and guide us with regulations that we could fit into 
And so, so we actually, Mana, the, probably one of the biggest reasons for our success is we've had an open door making regulatory progress that nobody else in the world has because we're in Ireland. And we've, we've also, you know, that we sometimes they say, you know, when, yeah, fair enough, you get lucky, but yeah, you do get lucky sometimes. And we are lucky because of that, but we ride our luck very hard. And, and that's what we've done. So we've taken advantage of that advantage and we've really gone, like we've overtaken Amazon that have been at this for eight years. We've overtaken anyone else that's been at this for seven or eight years with deep, deep pockets and smart people. And we've, we've actually now become, I would say, we're maybe not the first, we're probably the second in the world, that, uh, you know, in terms of our progress now. And, and we've come from nowhere to, to get that position. So, and that's, you know, uh, I would say hats off to Ireland for providing that incubator. Uh, are you pinning that mostly to the regulation environment that, that you find yourself in? Or, or is there sort of technology developments that you have that maybe Amazon or Alphabet don't have? No, I think uh, no. It's it's the reg. It, it's I think it's the policy and regulatory environment. So policy wise, Ireland wants to be a leader in whatever technology, and it's very business friendly. And that's you know thanks to despite what everyone else says, thanks to government policy, we have a very friendly uh, environment for for companies like ours. And but but the big enabler has definitely been the regulatory. But I, I think they go hand in hand. I think if government policy wasn't receptive and i could go around europe and point out very important markets that have absolutely no advances in drone technology because there's a lack of regulatory policy because of a lack of government policy so we have that in spades and and that you know uh, m- means that essentially ireland and of all places switzerland are two best countries in the world to do you know to build a business like we're building but longer term, I mean, obviously we love Ireland, but it's not our core target market, right? The world sure. is our market and we have to wait for regulations to be in place across the world. And, and they are quickly doing that. But I mean, I have the, you know, the head of some of the biggest and I can't name them, the biggest technology companies in the world reaching out to me to talk to me to find out how the hell did we pull this off and what's the magic and all that stuff. And obviously I'm not going to tell them, but. Uh, like we're a tiny company with tiny resources and, and we're winning and that is because we're in Ireland that's phenomenal do you have any concerns Bobby that like you'll do all the hard work and the grunt work and you liaise with the IAA and yeah. you go to Europe and the regulations that all get changed and then someone else comes along you know yeah. like obviously you'll have first move for advantage but is that a concern no that, uh, okay. no um, because I'm naive I don't think about the risks I only think about <laughs> moving things forward there's always a way around everything there's always you'll always I mean that's what pivots are for. That's that's you, you navigate right, and you you change your strategy if need be. But no, I I this isn't. Got, I mean, consumers love this, and I know already that what we're doing is loved by communities, by people, by children, by adults, by the vendors that we power. Everyone wants this from a product kind of and and commercial point of view. Government want it because it's a massive job creator. So it's it's not going to be, there aren't really any threats to whether or not people want us. There's certainly some objectors, but not many. And then we think about regulatory, that's then a science, right? It's kind of technically, can you make it safe? Is it scalable? Is there enough space in the air? You know, all that stuff. The answer is yes. Um, it's easy to do this. Uh, it's easy to make it, no, sorry, it's very difficult to make it mechanically safe. Very, very difficult. But it's easy to cons- to, to see future where the airspace is managed it's federated 
operators like us can share the airspace with others. It's very, very easy to see that world. And it's very easy to see the world where currently everything below 500 feet is left for the birds, uh, you know, or hang gliders or whatever it is. And that's a very, very valuable uh, bit of real estate for countries to, sure. to, to monetize and make jobs out of. And so not, no doubt whatsoever that uh, it's going to, and I'll take your pun, take off. And <laughs> no, no doubt whatsoever. My, my, if there's a doubt, it's going to be in our hands that we screwed up, that we didn't, uh, you know, it, it's, it's all in our hands. Um, there's nothing going to get in our way except, you know, tripping over our own shoelaces. And, and that's manifested in our inability to raise money if we can't raise sufficient capital, because this is a capital hungry business. It's going to take a lot of money before we're profitable. Um, and that's down to how well we uh, do our job, that we continually show progress. We keep, the confidence going in our investors and in future investors. And so long as we do that and that's in our hands, then uh, we will succeed. So uh, I know you, it was self-funded initially when you came up with the idea and obviously built that prototype, if you want to call it that, you know, when you went to market to VCs, was the idea or concept a bit radical for them or did you have to stretch it outside of Ireland really to get a bit of interest or what was that process like for you? Yeah, well, it's definitely a difficult business to sell because it's it's there's no revenue. There's not going to be for a long time. There's no there's nobody has a clue what the unit economics look like. You know, I mean, how much money will it cost to operate a delivery versus how much can you charge? There's no business model data to to do anything. There's no precedent. There's nothing like this in the world. On top of that, Amazon have failed miserably to do this over eight years, and they're not a bunch of fools, and they're not short of cash. Why, why can Amazon not do this and you can, you know, at a, you know, little office in UCD? Uh, so there's a lot of question marks for sure. And then the worst one of all is regulation. What about regulations? You may be able to build it, but you're not going to be allowed to do it. And so certainly there's a lot of tap dancing around telling the story and, and trying to show a case for something that you have absolutely no corroboration of your, uh, of your, your claims, right? So that's difficult, and that's the salesman. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the end, you know, that's why I said it's first time I've operated in the VC backed world, and my previous businesses have all been simple. Here's my numbers. Here's my accounts. Do you want to invest or not? Right. That's an easy one. Boring, but easy. This one is about selling the mission, selling the story, selling the passion, the team, our capabilities, and and selling the dream. Uh, and I enjoy doing that. I must say, I really enjoy doing that because I believe in it, right? I believe passionately that we are going to build an absolutely gigantic company here and we know how to do it. And there's this, it's like you're a kid and you discovered some magic and nobody else knows about it. I feel bizarrely that I've figured something out that nobody else has figured out and, and I panic that we're not going fast enough. So that comes across when I'm selling the business to investors and it's still not easy. I mean, I must have met, I think, 80 to 90 investors and I only got one yes at the seed round. Now, subsequently, everyone's piling in and everyone wants to invest in mana. But the first, you know, popping my cherry was not easy. Uh, and in the end, it was actually Alan Merriman of Elkstone uh, sure. who introduced me to a New York-based uh, VC and Alan straight away wanted to back the business. Uh, he knew me from before, but, you know, not the mad world of drones. And 
a visionary investor uh, and one that I knew well enough. There was trust there, but he also brought my New York-based lead investor, which is critical to getting around done. And and, and from there, to be honest with you, it's, it's been easy since then. I mean, like, well, all relative, right? It's been hard work, but there's a lot of credibility now. We've done a lot. We've achieved a lot. And you, it's, it's hard to say drone delivery is not coming when it's already happening, you know, just north of Dublin airport. Uh, and it works incredibly well. And if you see it, we bring investors there and they see it and, and just blows people away. And you, you right away see that is the future. That is the guy on the hoverboard in Back to the Future uh, happening. And we're making money out of it, you know. So it's uh, it's been relatively straightforward once we got the first round done. Amazing. So much of your role right now, I guess, is focused on the fundraising element to make sure this this keeps going, right? So you know, the, the metrics before you get to the next fundraise, is there X amount of flights or hours that you need to have completed or yeah. what are you working towards? You you work towards, first of all, how much cash have you got left and how long will that last you? And you go backwards from that, hopefully 12 months to say, let's start trying to get more money in then. And then you say, okay, maybe another way to look. That's the that's the bottom up, right? Where you say, okay, this is the time frame that, you know, based on cash, the other way to look at it is what's an incremental story that I can tell here? What progress can I make and show that's that's significantly better than the last time I raised funds that would justify a higher valuation that you could then raise money and have less dilution on? So you work both ways. So you say, basically, okay, when do I run out of cash and what's the optimal best story that we can generate in however number of months? And, and hopefully those two roughly coincide so that you're by the time you're raising money, you've accomplished enough uh, that the story has moved on sufficiently well and sometimes that story is you know written in data so you have you know now we have 105,000 flights we have all these deliveries we have this proof around customer adoption in Oranmore 38% of the community use the service in Balbriggan we're already close to 15% after a handful of weeks and so we we're starting to show proof that consumers love this we're showing the viability of the service technically we're showing the willingness of the regulator to let us do this and so we've shown a lot but at the same time we haven't shown enough yet in my view to justify some crazy uh, valuation and you know i don't want to steal anyone's money either we, we genuinely uh, have delivered a lot but i think you know you, you always you, you that's that's how you think about a business like this we're not going to be making money for a while so you say okay when when do we need more money for what does a business need right what's the most amount of money we can burn sensibly right to maximize our velocity without wasting money uh and then what could i get away with what's the minimum that i can use to to not fall behind and go slower and lose my time advantage and then you say okay well when therefore do i need to raise and what story will I have to tell by then? And that's the one I focus the team on. So I tell the team, we want to raise our, you know, Series B by this time. Here's what we need to have achieved and get them all to buy in on it. And then I feel better about banging the drum and making sure that everyone's working their asses off because we know, you know, I can tell them we're going to run out of cash in whatever uh, month. So I'm not going to be able to pay your salaries then. So therefore, I need to raise money back here and they all have stock options they're all invested in the company so they know that if we don't do a good job they're going to be punished <laughs> by the markets uh so it, you know 
that's a nice uh what i would call a bit of self and community flagellation you know we're all <laughs> under the same kind of torture regime and and it works really well you know everyone kind of responds well to that you can be honest with them about the state of things team motivation slash flagellation i really like yeah, that one. yeah all the holidays cancelled <laughs> until morale improves meetings will continue yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Bobby, you mentioned that Ireland isn't your marketplace, the UK, the States, it's the world, but presumably no more than biting, eating the elephant, it has to be, you know, a country at a time. Where's, yeah. uh, and outside of Balbriggan and Ormore, where's the focus now and in the kind of short term, how do you see the yeah. order priority going? Um, well, so it kind of, so the way we would think about it is uh, the biting the one elephant, that I mean, you build, you make the elephant or you eat the elephant completely that is before we roll out. So all of the hardware development, proving the software, everything, all of that and the regulatory part such that we're confident that we could do a million flights a day without an accident, right? That's kind of the way to think about it. So you can't go anywhere until you can go everywhere. So you don't roll out slowly because you're not there quite with the product. The product has to be absolutely perfect before we roll it out. And that's very, you know, that, that's kind of the problem with this business because it's going to be zero forever burning money and then wham, it's going to go through the roof. So you wouldn't, we will go concurrently with every market that's available to us once we're ready to do it. And we hope that that will be 2023. And when that happens, we'll obviously, you know, Ireland, we're here, we're going to roll out Ireland, uh, a number of European markets. We'll have our first USA project, hopefully this year. Um, and we don't really need to go very wide in year one, but we'll, we'll prepare in year one, i.e. 2023, to go everywhere. So you don't every market that we don't enter quickly, it'll be a market that some other startup will start to build a position in. And, you know, like kind of the rollout of an Uber or a DoorDash or Delivery, Deliveroo or Just Eat, one of those guys, any market that you're slow to enter is a market that you'll never be first in. Okay. And that applies to our space. So we definitely want to go to as many markets as concurrently as we can, which is, which will take a ton of capital. Uh, yeah. that, that's, you know, once you can prove that you have positive unit economics and that your model scales, unlimited capital is available. And we could become a public company or we could get large funding from the big privates. Uh, but to put it into perspective, I mean, the aircraft, just the aircraft alone for the U for 10% of the UK market is probably in the order of 500 to 700 million euros of capital, wow. you know, just wow. 10 to 15% of the market. So the numbers, once you start to roll out are very large. However, the cash profile is very attractive, right? So one aircraft will pay for itself in a handful of months. So they start to generate, you know, attractive, uh, you know, cash output. So, so you do, it is, the right thing to go as parallel as quickly as you can. Wow. And how easy is it for the businesses to partner with you? Like, is all they need some space on the roof for the drone yeah. to land or a place outside? Is, is it that simple? That's it, yeah. I mean, the, the first uh, the first version, which is what we do in Balbriggan and we did in Orn Moors, we're on the roof and they come uh, onto the roof with us. You know, so we have, you know, the guys in Bobanya, we have Blasta Street Food, we have guilt trip with a number of small vendors that they're on the roof with us and that's a good model right because it, it means that the, there's no runners between the the restaurant and where we are so it's very very optimal so you're talking 
you're losing a 30 to 60 seconds between the, the product being prepared and being flown. Uh, and that, that's important from the consumer point of view, but also the cost point of view. Uh, later on, uh, we, we are developing a system where we'll fly out to the vendor and pick it up and then fly on to the consumer. That's longer term. And the reason it's longer term is it's very, very difficult to do that safely. And so we'll be a lot more cautious about that. You don't really want, uh, you know, a, a cameo tie person loading your drone. Um, these are big, dangerous objects and they have to be handled with care. So we do know how to solve that. There is a way, um, but it's not the first thing we'll solve. So the, the, the medium term rollout will definitely be one big roof in a, a dark center somewhere and, and all of our vendors there with us. You bring it back, I guess, to the light bulb moment. Was there one? Were you sitting at your back and drone hit you in the head? Or, or yeah, what happened, I guess? the corniest <laughs> one in the world, but it's true, you know. Um, it's probably not the reason you should start a business, but um, I live in Rathfarnham, a uh, suburb of Dublin, for those that don't know, and very difficult. Uh, Libero's chippers down the road, about a mile down the road, great chipper and volunteer. Uh, once a month, I have a bag of chips. That's my... <laughs> limit and you know i'm sitting in i have a lovely big back garden and i'm thinking you know and i also know a bit about drones at this point i've bought all the drones and crashed them and you know like everyone has played around with drones and honestly i just thought you know what i could actually i could wrap this thing in an api they have an api i could wrap it and i could actually fly it autonomously to liberos and they could easily carry my bag of chips so I thought, why don't I write a bag of chips app? And that was the sole extent of the, of the ambition was a bag of chips app for Bobby Healy. You hit the button, bag of chips arrives in my garden. And that's doable, uh, but not a great, huge market. But that was where it started. And I thought, you know, what, that drones would be such a great way to move things around like bags of chips. And that was a starting point. And then it all just falls into place from there. It's pretty clear that, Restaurants hate having to provide delivery, which is why Deliveroo and Uber Eats exist. The drivers make no money. In fact, they don't know, but they're working for below minimum wage because their the, the cost of their bikes or their cars. The restaurants hate paying 30 plus percent commission to aggregators. So no one's making money. It's a pain in the ass. And customers hate it. You're getting your food cold. You might have to wait an hour for it. Everyone's pissed off but it's growing like crazy, right? And capital is flowing into those business. Billions of dollars have gone into, you know, all of these companies and they're all really struggling to make it work. And so you apply my dumbass drone bag of chips delivery system to those gigantic businesses and suddenly you fix them all. They say they suddenly all become really attractive businesses. And that, 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 was, that was it. That was the, the one night with, you know, a couple of glasses of wine, that was the dream. And most of my ideas start off like that. And I wake up in the morning and realize how stupid that idea was. But this one stuck. And as I went into it further and further and thought about it more and more and really trying to challenge the idea from all different angles, it held up and it held up for a long time. And I ended up with, you know, probably two or three months of really hard work, studying, researching and stuff that, that, led me to believe that this one would actually work. And then I was kind of thinking maybe I actually have hit my head. And then I started to circulate the idea to other people and everyone thought I was definitely, they disagreed. And it wasn't that they thought I was crazy. They just thought I was wrong. And that just really emboldened me even more.
<laughs> Can I ask, did you reference the bag of chips in your VC pitch? I did, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the story. Every VC wants to know where the idea came from. And, and yeah, usually, though, they want it to be for a better reason uh, than that. Um, but I do tell them because it, it's true. It's a true story. Uh, it is what started getting me thinking about it. Um, but don't forget, I'm a techie as well. So it's easy for me to get to, you know, pretty quick on understanding that it would be technically feasible. Uh, that's an advantage. Okay. And like Bobby, it, the story to date is amazing. And as you say, like it's, you know, there's so much yet to go. But if you look back at the Mana story to date, are there any particular milestones which jumped out to you and which indicated to you that I'm actually onto something big here and it is going to work? Um, no, so no, no, really. It's been a, millions of small uh, things, very few failures. Um, I would say very few negative surprises or negative moments to date. Um, the, the kind of the big, the biggest, not Eureka, but the biggest kind of door that opened was the regulatory one. It was, it was the knowing that actually this will uh, be allowed. And it was a very strong signal from the IAA that said, yes, we will support this. We believe that this is going to happen and we're happy to have you. That, that was the big one. And then the other big one was, um, I think when we started off, our first project was in Money Gall in, uh, where is I? Well, there's a fight over where it is, whether it's Offaly or Tipperary or. or I'm Offaly, it's Offaly. Yeah. That's, okay, yeah, that's now clarified. Exactly. So it was, it was a delicate one, but it, I, I think the big, not Eureka moment, but the big moment that, that really said, Jesus, you know, look what we've achieved was when we were doing our first flights there at a, Supermax, you know, at the at the Barack Obama Plaza, and we were actually delivering to actual people. That was very satisfying and very exciting because we got all that done in a year, and we had already done more than Amazon had been able to do in eight years. And there we were in a tiny rural town uh, in Ireland, achieving something that nobody else achieved, and that was really. It wasn't, it wasn't by, it wasn't in any sense of the word mission accomplished, you know, uh, but it was definitely, this is really doable. And, and then if you stood there, you know, where our base was in, in Money Gold and you actually saw the aircraft zipping across the sky and then dipping below the line and delivering and coming back, it is pretty special. It is pretty magical and it never gets boring. And that, that I think when we did our first flights, that was the big one where we said, Jesus, you know, we're really doing well here. So Offaly would always hold a place in her heart. Or temporarily. Or and Obama's. Uh, <laughs> wherever the Sunday business club readers are. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's where we'll it's have um, Bobby Healy Plaza soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think Tato Park are looking for some new uh, name over the door. So it could be something to, to look at, Bobby. Could be it. Could be it. Bobby, when you look at, you know, any startup uh, or business that you've been involved in, you know, talent can make or break that particular business. Uh, being such a unique idea or concept, how did you even go about finding the right talent for this and how much of a struggle or, or enabler has that been? Yeah, um, I mean, like I'm I'm not a spring chicken, as your uh, listeners may hear from my voice, you know, so you, you, you bring people along with you your whole career and I have people working for me now that worked with me since, Jesus, 1990, if anyone remembers that. Uh, you know, so so the first thing you do is you treat people with respect and, you, you, you know, good people 
you make sure that they're with you your whole journey and and that's the first part and and that kind of that's your um what i would call your your seed or your core uh team and and like my cto and mana came with me from car trawler you know most of my you know embedded engineers came with me from my video games past way back when you know and and that that's noticed by people you know it's it's important you know that you don't burn those bridges you're a good i don't call myself a boss you're a good you know uh, companion with these guys and, and you're in it together and so they they stay working with me and people notice that new people notice that and they know uh that that it's a good team to work for if if they've been together for so long it's a good team to work for so that's the starting point the organic stuff right um and then it's not hard to convince people to work for a drone delivery business i mean if you want to have fun and learn stuff i mean there's very few businesses that are as interesting and as exciting as what we're doing and and so that's another thing and then the, the hard part is matching the salaries of the FDI companies, you know, and this is a personal bugbear of mine that we're able to support, Ireland is able to support the gigantic companies that the Meta, the Google, the, even Amazon get funding that we don't have access to. That, you know, mm-hmm. makes me a little bit kind of, but, but that's just the rules, right? Those are just EU state aid rules. And so the hardest part is, is just, you know, matching the salaries and, and the, the kind of perks that the big companies provide. But at the same time, it's also a good filter, right? Because if all you're motivated by is making a, a big, huge salary so you can have a bigger car or a bigger whatever, then I'm probably not interested in you in the first place, you know? Uh, yeah. so, so most of my team would be on, you know, options and they're they're going to share in the success and, and they're, they're taking probably a cut below market rates because they believe in what we're building and they're going uh really going for it so the, the ta- hiring is a permanent job and it is a big huge use of my time and same my cto same thing you know we have to allocate a huge amount of time uh for this but you know um it does make it it's probably not the difference between success and failure but it's probably a big part of it um and if i were to say you know, if I were to say the common thread amongst all the companies that I've run has been that, has been my ability to get really good people and to keep them and keep them motivated and also make sure that they're marching in the right direction and all that stuff. I think that's something that I'm good at. And, and but it's, yeah, it takes a ton of time. So, so I know from lo- looking at the business early days, you, you went to Wales to was it build your, your engineering team there at the time. Yeah, I, I guess competing against the, the larger brands in the local landscape, was that a, a motivation to do that? Or was there a particular skill set there? No, it just to- found, yeah, they could have been anywhere. Um, right. They could have been anywhere. And that was, you know, at the start when I said, right, I know what's needed in a drone. I kind of know the rough components and, and how it's all put together. Now I need a team of people to do it. And... I actually found this team by, you know, simple desktop search. Like I found a lot of my best people just by Googling, you know, you know, build a robotic arm and you find some guy that's built a robotic arm, you know, to do something. And the team in Wales, I found, you know, I specifically went out looking for hobby drone builders and there's millions of them. Right. But these guys had also done a lot of work on, um, particularly autonomous drones and particularly sized drones. But more importantly, it was very clear that they were extremely passionate about it and, and had learned a lot already. So kind of they were definitely 
it, it wasn't that I was avoiding a busy jobs market in Ireland. There just wasn't, at least I didn't find the guys that would be uh, able to build that kind of thing anywhere in Ireland. So we actually scaled up quite a bit in Ireland. Actually, funnily enough, got lots of funding from the West Development Authority for it. Um, but but that was it. It was simple Google searching and then contacting people. And I do a ton of that. Like I, recently I found some guy in Paraguay, a robotics engineer um, from university there, and we've hired him, you know. And it's you're not... Still, so you're, still, you're still very much hands-on on the actual talent acquisition side? Oh, yeah. Jesus, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, in fact, yeah. I'm the number one... Um, I'm constantly looking for people uh, and using the network, but more just Googling people and hanging out on LinkedIn, looking on uh, boards, looking on all sorts of places. And like I said, that guy in Paraguay is a perfect example. Just I was looking for people and I says, you know what they might be doing? Good people might be building, you know, I wanted to build a robot arm to sort pieces of Lego, right? Because I have children and therefore I have <laughs> tens of thousands of euros in Lego. So I said, right, I want to get a robot arm that uses computer vision and sorts Lego. So I'll go looking for people that know how to do that. And there's loads of them. And, and then, you know, if you go in to buy a puppy and there's 10 puppies and they're all wagging their tails, which one do you, do you pick, right? Same thing with, with uh, technology people. There's a number of unmeasurable things that you use. And I found this great guy in Paraguay, you know, lo and behold. And so, yeah, I do that and, and I enjoy it actually. Yeah. Great. And looking to Manor's future, um, you know, you've said that by 2026, you can see one city of 20 million people replacing half of road-based deliveries via drone. And presumably you envisage Manor being a big part of that. And you've also said that by sort of 2030, looking to have the world's largest IPO. So very ambitious plans. Is Manor on track? And are there any, you know, things that you worry about in terms of threats, whether it be capital investment, you know, human talent, you know, human resources, regulatory blocks? Yeah, um, I think we're on track. Yeah, I think we're ahead of our plan. We've done more than I thought we would have achieved already. And I think the, the world has actually moved forward more quickly because of COVID, more open-minded about technologies like ours. So I think we're actually ahead of our plan. And do I think we could, I think we could be the biggest company the world's ever seen. That's how big this space is. If you can move objects around efficiently in a scalable way, you enable a new form of consumption and retailing that didn't exist before. And where in the world was coffee delivery ever a thing? Uh, just as an example, the bookshop in Oran Moore has a better product than Amazon has. And we're already Ireland's favorite airline, you know? So uh, <laughs> We're actually we're actually an order of magnitude more preferred than any of the airlines that operate in Ireland today. So you can achieve a lot in a small amount of time, and we've done that. And uh, and by the way, that's measurable data from customer responses. I should say it's not just a claim. Um, and we are an airline. We're licensed as an airline, so that's where that comes from. But no, I, I think I'm 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 not naive either it's, it's not easy to build a big company but we're certainly in a space that can easily be absolutely gigantic and we at least are uh, one of the companies at the nascent stage of that industry and we're making more progress than anyone else i've, I've reason to be cautiously optimistic cautiously <laughs> very do you have your your 20 million person city picked out yet yeah 
Very good. Yeah. And where it is, though. That'll be that'll be the next podcast series we do with you, Bobby. Yeah. Reveal that. Yeah. Yeah. Looking maybe to your career pathway. So when you, you know, were back in the Nintendo days, you know, programming and developing games, did you always have an inkling or did you know, was it always I'm going to go down the entrepreneurial route? Because not everybody is, it's not for everyone. Is it something you always knew? Or? No, no, I didn't. Um, I've no, I've no education per se, except for a pretty crap leaving cert. And, uh, but I knew that I was good at programming. So I had a lot of confidence in programming. So I knew I was going to be able to find a job and by the way I'm old enough to remember when it was you were worried about whether you could pay the bills and even get somewhere to live uh so I certainly had my trade and I was I was therefore confident enough that but then I was probably cocky as well uh undeservedly so so I ended up you know getting into yeah games and I was I was a good programmer uh, but no money in games and then I just I kind of by, by chance you know fell into future things like i got this uh i started my own games company that didn't go very well at all um you know all my games were crap uh and then i i got a great job in the south of france of all places and so i stumbled into travel technology but i was as a programmer and it was only when i went to mexico you know i met this other guy an older guy and you know he and i started a company together to you know build this software for the mexican or latin american travel systems and i knew how to build that uh and i was very confident about that but that's all that i was or that i thought i was and it was kind of when i was in mexico that i by by chance ended up having to also sell the stuff and you know yeah i'm good at selling stuff as well so those two things kind of made me stumble along like it's all random chance and accident it was never I never had a plan whatsoever. And I still really don't. My plan is to get mana done and, and God knows what happens along the way. But no, I never, but I have a unique, fairly unique mix, right? Of where I'm technically good, right? I have the ability to program, relate to programmers, understand how easy or how hard something is to build. You know, I have the sales kind of salesy thing, uh, and I, I don't have any fear of failure. Um, so that's a nice mix. If you are going to take risk and build a business, it is a nice mix to have. And I always, when I'm advising other startups, you know, I, I always look straight to what are your, what is your technical DNA like? You know, you need to have a really strong technical DNA or it's a huge disadvantage if you don't. But similarly, you also need to be a storyteller. You need to have someone to lead business and kind of be the guy that everyone believes in follows so you you need all of that and and uh did i lick it off a rock i don't know my mother probably instilled a lot of it in me she was a men's bullshitter and uh <laughs> gave me the confidence that i needed probably but other than that no just random chance when you look at other entrepreneurs bobby is there any other kind of key critical traits that you feel you have to have to succeed as an entrepreneur I think ego works against entrepreneurs and quite often in the journey, ego comes in and they believe their own uh, look, you know, and they, they think it, the look that they got is because of themselves. Uh, the, the trade, I think, is being able to build teams and to have teams, you know, enjoy working with you and want to work with you and want, you know, collectively to do something together. Um so it's it's team, you know, everything else can be 
you can hire for pretty much everything else. So it's the ability to lead teams. And, and I think, you know, there, there's lots of other components. There's strategy to have, you need to have a strategic brain. You need to um, be, be resilient, obviously, because, you know, things aren't always going well. And there's all sorts of things. Uh, integrity is important too. You have to be honest. Um, you know, people in the end quickly see through, uh, you know, a lack of integrity, I think, and a lack of, you know, sticking by your your values and good principles and stuff. Uh, but there isn't one thing, no, I don't think so. Key lessons from scaling multiple tech companies over the years, especially those for, for let's say, being entrepreneurs sure, out there. Make sure you have a family that understand um, the sacrifice because it's collective, right? So it isn't possible to run a business and be devoted to raising a family i just don't think it is or if it is it's a really difficult thing to do um it's it's been done don't get me wrong there's probably people out there sneering at me when i say that but you know i certainly ask my family to make a huge sacrifice and that means that they don't see me as much as maybe they'd like to uh and i travel a huge amount or they've had to travel with me for for work but i, I think definitely advice is you can't do this on your own. Um, you need, like, if, if you have a family, I should say, you need them, you know, being part of it because they are part of it. Even if they're not working with you, they're part of it. Um, and that's the biggest one. Great. Yeah, no, I think very, very apt advice. Um, I think now at this point, we're going to head to our rapid fire round. So um, I was going to make some really crappy pun, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to I've always in. wanted to do rapid fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, now this is your lucky day, Bobby, and yeah. we are delighted that we are the ones that get to do it with you. Yeah. Okay, so this is so we really get to understand the man behind Mana. Uh, best business book, sorry, you have ever read? Uh, two books, uh, Shoe Dog and uh, uh, the We Work book, um, Cult of We. Those two. Yes, read them both. Yeah, choices. great books. And then I have a load of super pumped here beside me, which is good fun, more entertaining. Uh, there's loads of business books and a lot of they're great, but yeah, those two, Shoe Dog and and Shoe Dog and Cult of We, you could give to anybody, mm. anybody, yeah. and they're gonna have a great read from them. And don't look at the Netflix whatever versions of them because they don't tell the story properly. The books have to be read. Super great. love it. Uh, which podcast are you listening to at the moment besides ours? Oh, yeah, of course. The, yeah, oh, of course. It, I mean, this is the only podcast that I have time yeah. for. Uh, I like Acquired FM. It's very good. Uh, Lex Friedman, um, he has a podcast, but but his pods are four hours long, you know. I mean, but Acquired FM can be two or three hours long. But one particular podcast on uh, Acquired FM on the New York Times, the story of the New York Times. And it was three episodes, each of three hours long. It's worth every minute. It's absolutely brilliant. And uh, closer to home, I actually like Dave McWilliams' podcast, you know. Yeah, it's great. Uh, kind of, you know, uh, quite good. Ah, I listen to loads of them, but, um, geez, I hope I'm not annoying anyone now uh, <laughs> by, by saying that. But, yeah, and, of course, you know, this podcast. Felix, yeah, absolutely. Um, what is your one daily non-negotiable? Ah, oh, it shouldn't be, but it's coffee in the morning. I'm trying to wean myself off it, but it's uh, coffee in the morning. Is it delivered from the heavens? Yeah, it will be in future. Yeah, once we roll out to 
my town, I will 100% be ordering it by drone rather than making it myself. Excellent. Because don't forget, and everyone that's listening, there's a coupon in it for you. You get a hot pastry with your coffee when you get it by drone. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I see that the value, average basket value, goes from like nine euro up to 19 euro plus. You did your research. That's I sure did. Uh, it's actually over that now. It's over 20 euro because people, when they're ordering from us, they're ordering from two people at home, two adults at home usually. There might be a kid there as well. So you throw in a hot chocolate and then everyone's getting a cake. So yeah, it's a diff- totally different business, much um, better business than a, just a coffee retail shop. But so, so our coffee vendors, you know, the one in Ornmore is where you got that data from was Thomas and Co. And very attractive for a coffee uh, outlet to have drone delivery. Yeah. Excellent. What are your pet peeves in business? Um, I'm going to say the culture of big companies. Interesting. Yeah, politics, all the Machiavellian shite that happens in big companies. And it develops, it's like a rot that goes into big companies. And some remarkably intelligent people just go in the wrong direction with the wrong motivation in big companies. And I always, when I run businesses, and the man is tiny, right? But, you know, hu- the nature of humans uh, at scale, then you're dealing with humans, you know, and some big companies become toxic because of that and some thrive right yeah. and I, I i'm a study of companies to do it well and a study of companies to do it badly and in fact i met an author in in boston last month and he's actually doing uh, he's writing a book specifically about that toxic culture that creeps in as companies get bigger and bigger groups of people get involved and i'm genuinely interested and i don't read a lot of business books but that's one he's given me a pre-read of it and I'm very interested in it because that's an area when I scale mana, that's one of my key focuses to make sure none of that gets in there. So pet peeve, humans. Bobby, I won't, won't ask who you believe got it wrong, but what businesses do you believe have got it right? No, I'm not going to say. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, okay, Stri- Stripe have it right, but I won't say the ones that got it wrong because. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Fair enough. Okay. Um. Like such, you know, no doubt, as you say, there's sacrifices, busy man. Do you manage to switch off? And if so, how? Never switch off. Uh, permanently on my phone, on Slack, on email, on WhatsApp. Uh, and if I'm not on Slack, I'm down in my base. I work mostly, I work from home and I'm down in my basement. I'm writing SQL to look at data, to get different answers on different things. We have a gigantic database from the aircraft from all the blogs i'd have a question i never i'm seven days a week uh all the hours i can get um i'm a i'm a i'm a really bad parent and, and a husband because of it but i can't and i don't want to switch off i just i just i'm so obsessed mm. with the detail and with the organization of things and I, I just uh no don't switch off and if i did if i did my dream which i'll never achieve is to sit on my deck chair in my back garden in the sun with a transistor radio reading a nice book but the problem is I'm always connected. So that's never going to happen. Okay. So my next question was sipping pina coladas on a beach, looking back fondly on your achievements should now be changed to deck chair in Bobby Healy's back garden, reading a nice book. That's it. But yeah. That's is, the dream. is that in your future or will Bobby Healy ever stop? I don't, I don't think uh, I, that is my dream to be able to do that. And uh, I've already proven to myself twice that I'm not able to do that. Now, 
when I exit Mana, um, I'll be so old that maybe I won't have a choice, right? And I think <laughs> I think what I would do then, honestly, I'll still be in my basement, but I'll be learning. I'll be I'll probably write a video game or I'll I'll do something. I'll, I'll be learning and I'll be absolute. I'll have massive OCD and I'll be obsessed with learning to the point of learning every single atom of whatever technology. That's just I know what I am. That's it. I I have a very short attention span. And I need to be, uh, you know, in the dark with the music, loud music on, working on something technical. So that's probably, if I have to bet, that's what I'll be doing when I'm 70. You heard it here first. Excellent. Yeah. A sincere thank you to Bobby for taking the time to join us today. That was such an interesting episode, uh, such a unique opportunity to hear from Bobby and to hear how fun plays such a, a large part of his definition of success through to how he attracts and retains staff and teams, some from the 1990s, and then his key tips to budding entrepreneurs. Just a really, really interesting, fun podcast series. This concludes another great episode of Phoenix Talent Talk Success Series podcast in partnership with The Business Post. As always, you can check out Phoenix and our Talent Talk Success Series podcast online across all usual social media and podcast channels. 